Welcome to service today. Whether you're in the house or you're in your house, I'm glad that you are taking the time to hear what God has to say. I want to preach a message today about atmosphere. This is actually week three of our series on values, but for two weeks, we went over our number one value. Here's the foundational statement for that number one value. You ready? Only Jesus can fulfill desires, period. Only Jesus can fulfill desires. Now, I, I, I went through seasons of my life where I tried a lot of things, and everything that I tried left me wanting. But I've discovered that when I delight in Jesus, which is our number one value, Jesus himself begins to fulfill my desires. This is not just like good cliches. This is a, a very biblical thing that Jesus actually himself said. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, he who hungers and thirsts, not for a bunch of people in this world, not for the next job opportunity, not for the big promotion in the bigger city, but he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Come on, if I, were, if I were seeking what I had for my life, I'd have never come to Eunice, no offense. But I am so glad that Megan and I listened and obeyed the voice of God because we have been more fulfilled in ministry in the last five years than we were in the previous 35 years. I am so grateful that I am discovering that only Jesus can fulfill desires because he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, this one shall be filled. Okay, so number one value for this church is to delight in Jesus. Number two, number two, which is where we're gonna hang in today. Number two, we wanna foster family. This is our second value. If you're taking notes along the way, um, if you have an immediate family, you're in that season of life where you have a spouse and children and, and multiple, or just multiple people living in your home, I believe that you should have family values. I believe that they should be written, they should be defined, come on, they should be declared and they should be defended. And my children can tell you what our family values are because they are posted on a sign in our, hang on, they are posted in a box on a sign in our house that is gonna be unpacked in the name of Jesus within the next, next couple of weeks, gonna be great. Um, but our children can tell you that our number one value is to know Jesus, which is right in line with delighting in Jesus. And our number two value is to make him known. Okay? Because we want to foster family. You need to decide what your core values are. We actually got this one from Pastor Jeff Abels at Crossroads. This was one of their top three values. We went and looked at churches and leaders um, for months before we picked seven or eight values that we found the most important. Some churches had 20. I was like, I never remember that. I mean, they look cool on paper and stuff, but there's no way. We're going to go into our series on values, and we will be here until 2023, so get ready. So it's anyways, <laughs> and then some only had like one or two. I was like, really? That's all you care about? Okay, so we had to find our values. Number one was Jesus, okay? Number two is his people. Sound familiar? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, you put them all together, mind, soul, and strength. And then, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So our second value is to foster family. Romans chapter 12, 
verse four and five. This is the foundation, scriptural foundation of this value. Verse four says, for as in one body, we have many members, not like official voting members, okay? Paul was not in a business meeting when he wrote this to the church in Rome. He's talking about parts of the body, people in the body, and the members do not all have the same function. In other words, God created us differently. Like, we are all different. We're different skin tones. We're different demographics. We're different upbringings. I'm different from a a different place, and you guys know that, and you're welcome for God sending missionaries to minister to you guys down here in South Louisiana. Yeah, we got you, okay? North Louisiana always carrying y'all out of the mud. All right, we got you. (laughs) The members do not all have the same function, but all the functions are equally important. Are you with me? The devil wants us to look at our differences and be divided. God created us with differences to be more dynamic for the sake of the kingdom of God. So we, verse 5, though many, praise God, we are one body in Christ. Like, we're family. This is the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're the children of God. We're the family of God. And individually, members one of another. Foster. Let's look at the definition. What does foster family mean for us? Well, let's look at the definition of foster. Merriam-Webster defines foster as to promote the growth or development of something or someone. And this is in your notes on the back of your bulletin and at unischurch.com slash notes. And I just found it interesting. You remember I told you a couple weeks ago the vision? And it took me like a week. took me a week to hear from God, to meet people and grow closer to God together. It seems like it should take me like seven minutes not seven days, okay, to meet people and grow closer to God together. And then our second value, by definition of Merriam-Webster, means to promote the growth, grow closer to God together, to promote the growth or development of something or someone. So when, I'm ta- when I say foster family, I'm not talking about taking in children that are not my own and just fostering them until I give them up to somebody else or, or the state takes them or whatever happens in the foster care system. No, no, no. I'm talking about fostering a family atmosphere, come on, so that ultimately I adopt them all the way in. So that they, because we were fostering, come on, they begin to receive the adoption that is available to them. We promote the growth. So what does fostering family mean to us? You ready? It means that we create an atmosphere. Now I know this is technical. Y'all hang in here with me today. We create an atmosphere, and I'm gonna preach the rest of this message on atmosphere. You're going to be wondering, is he talking about family or atmosphere? Yes. Okay. We want to create an atmosphere that is conducive to the development of family. Create an atmosphere that is conducive to the development of family. Why, why, why look at Crossroads and Pastor Jeff Abels? Because he took a church of like 600 over 20 years and turned... God's vision into a church of 3,600, okay? And one of his values along the way with all of his staff members and the people 
that are on his, at his church was to foster family. I believe the only way that we can develop the family that God has for us is if we determine the atmosphere that God has for us. Okay, I'm talking about like his house, but even more importantly, I'm talking about your house. That the only way that you're gonna develop the family that you are placed in the atmosphere to develop is if you create the atmosphere and if you create the atmosphere on purpose. So number one today, I need you to understand that atmosphere impacts eternity. Atmosphere impacts eternity. We believe that the atmosphere of your small group should impact the eternity of the people in your small group. And our, our 30 small group leaders should have probably said amen, but I, I think I only heard about three. Okay, so, so all right, we're learning together. Come on, we grow closer to God. We have not arrived, and yet we press on. The atmosphere of our services, the atmosphere of our services should promote the development of family. It, it should be an atmosphere that impacts eternity. The atmosphere of your vehicle. See, what you listen to is so important. What you allow into your heart by way of your eyes and ears is essential because atmosphere impacts eternity in our freedom groups. Atmosphere, oh, by the way, small groups and freedom groups, they start today. You're welcome, Pastor Dylan. I just throw that one right in. Hey, you signed up. Come on, somebody. You got to show up, though, because it's not enough just to like, yeah, well, you know, I, you know what, sweetheart? I was going to load that dishwasher. Like, I even wrote it down. I thought about it, and she's over at the sink. But the next time you think about it, <laughs> you better go ahead and do it before I throw this coffee cup at you. Okay, so it's not enough just to think it's a good idea. You got to go ahead and go through with it. Okay, it's atmosphere. Atmosphere impacts eternity. There are times um, I, when I'm, and sometimes my office may be this hospitality room. My office may be, I don't know, at, at my house in a corner. My office may be the conference room. My office may actually be in my office. Uh, I don't know it, if you knew this about me, but I, I kind of have a hard time like staying in one place. <laughs> it is what it is, right? You know, just, just like I just stand here and preach my notes and never move. No, no, no. I'm the same way pretty much all week long. And so my office could be anywhere, but I understand that I have to create an atmosphere, okay, to engage in the presence of God. The atmosphere, hear me, the atmosphere is up to me. Because if it's up to everybody else, there's no telling what the atmosphere. Could you imagine if I let Gabriel and Emery create the atmosphere all the time? Okay? It's not good. If you let your body create the atmosphere all the time instead of your spirit and your soul. So I'm, I'm creating an atmosphere specifically whenever I'm writing a message. And I'll put my, my earbuds in or my headphones on and I'll go to YouTube and it's really helpful for me. It's, it's very calming. There's some worship instrumental, specifically by a guy named William Augusto. Okay, it's instrumental worship, soaking worship, I think is what it's called. It's very easy to find. And you, I pick all these different videos. Some of them are like three hours. Some of them are nine. And uh, sometimes I listen to the whole thing before I finish my sermon. And I was one day, y'all, I was listening. And it doesn't have words. It's just pads and synthesizers and keyboard. And, and I was in the zone, y'all. And I told you I was watching it on YouTube. 
And all of a sudden, this advertisement came up. <laughs> and this, look guys, this ad, I, I can't describe it. I wish I could remember the song, but I'm thankful that I'm not remembering the song. It, it, was, a, it was a loud, it was like LOL dolls loud, y'all. In fact, it was an LOL doll advertisement, you know, because of all the LOL dolls that I buy. I think the government is watching what my children buy at Walmart and advertising them in the middle of the atmosphere. It was, it interrupted, it interrupted the atmosphere that I was creating. So I threw my computer across the room. I got up and I asked somebody else to preach that Sunday. No, but that's what we do. Okay, the atmosphere was interrupted. The, the enemy has interrupted the atmosphere with an LOL Dolls advertisement. So I waited five seconds, I skipped the ad, and I recreated the atmosphere. Why? Because I understand that atmosphere impacts eternity. And specifically, in regards to what I was writing in that moment, I believe that what God had me writing was going to impact your eternity. Did you know that how you treat people on the way into this worship center determines whether they listen to what I've been preparing to preach? Did you know that if they don't have a good experience on the way in, then they're still thinking about what you did or what you did not do during the first song. Instead of worshiping God, they're irritated at us. Atmosphere is essential. Why? Because atmosphere impacts eternity in one way or another. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Somebody speed that clock up. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one they were all together in one place. Verse 2. And suddenly, I love that. And suddenly, come on, their prayer came to pass. And suddenly, their faith was fulfilled. And so, you are an and suddenly moment away from God moving if you'll just keep your hand on the plow sometimes. I mean, they had been in there for seven days, and the Bible says, and suddenly. And they weren't just waiting. Come on, they were working while they were waiting, which is what it means to wait on the Lord. I keep my hand on the plow. I keep watering. I keep planting. And suddenly, God brings a harvest. There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, I, I'm going I'm to have a hard time not just preaching this whole passage, but I, 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 I promised myself I would do my best not to. But this passage for a long time was confounding to me um, because the first time that I really recognized it was when I read it for myself at, at almost 20 years old. And I was frustrated because of how many times this passage had not been read and how many times I had not heard this passage. I was frustrated because I, I, I sensed in my spirit when I read through this scripture that there was something in the Bible that was available to me that nobody had told me about. There was more to God than just coming forward week after week and getting saved over and over and over and over again. Like that he had another experience for available to me 
And when I read this, I realized I have never had an experience anywhere close to this. Now, I'm not saying I've ever had an experience exactly like this. I've never been sitting in a room and a pillar of fire show up and start jumping around on everybody like a little fairy from Disney World. That's, I've, never, that's, I've never physically seen that. But can I tell you, I've been in environments since I read this passage at 19 years old where I could sense what these people were sensing as they sat all together for seven days and 120 of them were still, that's interesting that 120 of them were still there because the last time I checked, Paul wrote in the book of Corinthians that Jesus ascended into heaven in front of 500 people. So Jesus told 500 people, Go to Jerusalem and wait, and you'll be endued with power from on high. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to be a witness for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utter ends of the earth. And after seven days, 380 people were gone. What happened? I don't know. Maybe somebody got hungry. Maybe somebody broke wind. They're like, I'm out. Come on, y'all laugh, but it was seven days. Y'all, somebody did it. Seven days? Sometimes you got to fight through. Come on. And 120 people are there. And the Bible says that divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the at this sound... At the sound of praise, at the sound of prayer. Why is it so important that you express your praise to God? Why is it so important that you express your love for God? Because it creates an atmosphere that at the sound of the praise of the people of God, when you exalt the name of the Lord, he will draw all people into his presence. At the sound, the multitude came together. The invite came to life. And they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own life. They were all in the room and a bunch of people were saying a bunch of different things. But every person drawn to that place heard exactly what they needed to hear on that day. That's Holy Spirit power right there. Verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Illegitimate, uninfluential, uneducated Galileans? How could these people be saying exactly what I need to hear as if they were speaking from God himself today? In verse 8, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Jump down with me to verse 12. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? I need to understand. And there was an atmosphere that they all wanted to engage in. And then there were some people that were just in the area. And verse 13 says, but others mocking. They were right there. They weren't engaged in the atmosphere. They were just in the area. And so instead of engaging and being part of the atmosphere, they were in the area and they missed out on the atmosphere. And so they thought, those Jesus freaks are nuts. Those spirit-filled holy rollers, they done lost all their marbles. Them charismatic tongue talkers, they don't know what they are doing. 
those excessively emotional zealots, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, that was a catchphrase that some evangelists in the 80s and 90s used to say, but I'm telling you, we are this close to being so earthly minded that we've become no heavenly good. We need to get back in the atmosphere and stop just sitting around in the area. I, I have, I, I watch on Sunday mornings people who are in the area versus people who are in the atmosphere. And I will watch people walk away from the atmosphere because they were in the area, but they decided to not engage. They forgot that atmosphere impacts eternity in the name of Jesus. And so they missed what God had for them because they were too busy mocking what God did in them. You can't sit back and accuse other people of leaving you out when you decide not to engage in the atmosphere. Um, I don't, look, no offense, okay, because I understand, like, we only have so many chairs and we only have so much space, but, but when I go somewhere, like, I, I don't like sitting in the back. Now, I ain't, got, I ain't looking. I ain't trying to make, I can't see y'all in the back anyway. These lights are too, I'm not trying to condemn it. Don't feel bad. Okay, there's some people, I'm glad they're sitting in the back. <laughs> it's okay. I'm like, I ask sometimes people to sit in the back, and that, that's, that's good. I just don't personally like to sit in the back. Now, look, I also, I'm going to tell you, I'll just be honest. Sometimes you front row people, y'all make me a little nervous too. I'm just saying, like, now my wife normally sits on the front row, so I love my front row people, but it actually, when somebody comes in here, they ain't never been here before, and they come plop down comfortably on the front row, and they looking at me, and amen to me, and they're taking notes, I know for a fact, they're going to want to meet with me after service and tell me everything that they didn't like about everything that we just did, and I'm going to tell them they are entitled to their opinion in somebody else's house, but I'm in charge in this place, so if you don't like what God's doing here, then go somewhere else and build what we've built. Until then, sit down, shut up, keep your mouth to your mouth. And that's, that's, I got that from Pastor Greg Abels. That's uh, Pastor Jeff Abels' uh, cousin. <laughs> He's not quite as friendly. Okay, so I like to sit about three or four rows back, maybe four or five at the most. And, uh, and I like to be in the aisle, like on the aisle, because I don't like people getting in my way, you know, like in the middle of the song. Like, I'll smoke you. Don't be getting up in my space. This is me and Jesus. Like, I'm, these arms are going up, and I don't have to have the right song. I came to praise God, not to listen to music. Come on, somebody. It, it don't, it don't, you play whatever you want to play. You play Jesus on the main line, I'll Pentecostal shuffle to that, okay? You can play Jaira. I'll lift my hands and, and praise to that because I didn't come to watch other people be a part of the atmosphere. I came to be a part of creating an atmosphere that I and the people I have influence with in that atmosphere are ready to engage in. Why? Because I understand that the atmosphere can impact their eternity. Number two, atmosphere is affected by exposure. See, I like to sit where if something goes down, I can go down with it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want something to go down in the house of God and me, like, be standing way up here going, man, I wish I could get down with them. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to I go. And I, under, I understand that atmosphere is affected by exposure uh, in my house, in my vehicle, in our office. I understand 
if the atmosphere is having more of an effect on me than I am having on the atmosphere, it could be because I have been exposing myself to the wrong things before I walked into that atmosphere. Hang on, I'll preach here too long. Write this down. It's not in your notes. You're going to have to do I believe we need to define, I'm sorry, defend, defend, and determine the atmosphere. It is nobody else's responsibility to defend and determine the atmosphere in which I work. Now, if you have a boss, you subject to the authority and you honor that authority, but it is not your coworker's fault that you're in a bad mood. Your coworker does not affect your atmosphere unless you allow your coworker to affect. Your child does not affect your atmosphere unless you allow your child to. Your teenager is not in charge in your house. Jesus put you in charge of your house. And the atmosphere is affected by the exposure. That means when I walk in to defend the atmosphere, what could have taken place, maybe even what was taking place, is no longer going to take place because I have now walked in. And the atmosphere is being affected by my exposure. And I believe that I have to defend that atmosphere. Now, I've heard this before. Well, you know, preacher, I mean, you got to let them grow up at some point. Okay, no, you don't, dummy. I don't know if you've noticed, but you didn't grow up because your parents let you grow up. You just grew up. Like, you don't have to let a child grow up. They just grow up. You don't have to let them be exposed. Well, you know, you got to let them make decisions for themselves. Yeah, at some point, they are going to make decisions for themselves. But it is our responsibility, by the way, as the family of God, the church of God, and their parents to protect them and prepare them so that they produce in the atmosphere no matter what the atmosphere is. So we don't get to be lazy and blame it on the world. Well, I can't guard every little thing. You better guard every little thing. Do you know that the Taliban is in charge of a country right now? You better stop sitting back on your heels and hoping that God intervenes in something that he's already anointed you for. He put you in the house. He put you in the room. He put you in the hospital. He put you at the graveside. The atmosphere is only subject to you if you understand that it is. Jesus Christ didn't come in and make excuses for what was going on in the Roman Empire. Jesus created an atmosphere so much stronger than the current culture that blind people could follow him. Jesus created an atmosphere so much stronger than the environment that demoniacs would worship him. He would walk into the graveyard and a man filled with 7,000 demons would run to him and fall at his feet. You know what that means? It means that it doesn't matter what you went through last week. It doesn't matter what you're going through this morning. It doesn't matter what you've been carrying. It doesn't matter what possessed you up to that point. When Jesus Christ walks into the room, 7,000 demons from the pit of hell can't keep you from worshiping your king. You have the ability to walk in the anointing that he already purchased for you. Atmosphere is affected by exposure. We have to determine the exposure. 
And in this culture, it's going to take a lot more than intent to determine the exposure. In this culture, it's going to take initiative to determine the exposure. It must be more than an intent. Oh, well, you know, I really meant to spend time with God. Yeah, but he's not in your schedule, so you're not spending time with him. Well, I really meant to, to teach them and train them that I really didn't mean for them to go in that direction at 15, 18, 20. Yep, but you didn't protect and prepare them so that they produce what God had for them to produce. You connected them to your standard, but you forgot to connect them to your Savior. So now God is going to intervene. If you'll begin to lean into him, he's going to help you do what you couldn't do in 17 years in just seven days in the name of Jesus because that's still your baby. That's still your prodigal that you're praying for. That is still your house that you are anointed for. And God is in control. Come on. But he put you in charge of the atmosphere. The atmosphere wasn't in charge of Jesus. Jesus was in charge of the atmosphere. And we need to wake up and start winning people to the kingdom of God in whatever atmosphere he puts us in. By the way, starting with ourselves, and then out to our family, and then for every single person that he puts in our path. Or, we can whine about the direction of the course of the earth, be as dead and uninfluential as they are, and stand before God and explain to him why we didn't operate in the anointing and create the atmosphere that the power of the blood of Jesus paid for us to have the right to create. We must take initiative. As a church, before I preach myself out of every ounce of sweat that I have, as a church, as a church, we are creating an atmosphere where people have a place to belong. Did you know that there are people who come here on Wednesdays and Sundays? Did you know that there are people who will not come here, but they'll come to your small group? If you would go to your small group, and walk through the process of hosting a small group and co-leading a small group and then ultimately leading a small group. See, everybody wants to make a difference for the kingdom of God, but nobody wants to have the discipline that it takes to go the distance that will actually make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, we are not in a time and a place where intent is going to be enough. We need to create an atmosphere on purpose where people have a place to belong. Predominantly, predominantly. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're not in an unchurched culture. There are 50 churches within a five-mile radius. We are not in an unchurched culture. We're in an unbiblically churched culture. See, see, we're trying to save people not out of evil living. We're trying to save people out of bad doctrine. Oh, it done got real. Even the air conditioner went quiet. <laughs> we're not trying to win people to a church. We're trying to win people to a different church. Oh, well, you think y'all got it all figured out? Well, yeah. If I didn't, then we'd be doing something different. What, you think the assemblies of God is the only one that's doctrinally sound? 
Yeah. Now, I think God still uses all the other stuff, but if I didn't think I'd pick the right one, then I'd have picked something else. We are ministering, hear me, every single week, not to people who have never heard anything about church. We are ministering to people who already have an illegitimate idea of what church is supposed to be because of the illegitimate people that have done something to them in the past. We're trying to heal what somebody's so-called church and or church person has left hurt. So our number two value is to foster family. So that when you come in here on Sundays, you hope somebody is sitting in your seat so that you can go sit down beside them and make them feel welcome. So that when you walk in here on Sundays, you understand that if you don't affect their experience on the way in, instead of me and the worship team and the prayer team being able to impact their eternity in a positive way, their eternity has already been impacted in a negative way. And instead of coming up for prayer, they're sitting right there. You understand that when you've been coming to church for just more than a couple of months, that it's not enough just to finally show up on a Sunday. You showed up to serve on a Sunday. You understand what I pray over my babies every single day. God, help them to be a friend to everyone like you're a friend to them. Let them look for people that don't feel like they have any friends. Why would somebody come to church and feel exiled and isolated? They can stay at home and feel exiled and isolated. But we've been giving ourselves all the credit in the world because we finally showed up on a Sunday. Instead of understanding that when we walk in the back door of the church, we should be looking up front for somebody that's sitting by themselves wondering if anybody cares. We should have, instead of just worrying about whether our family is comfortable or our seat is open, we should be directing our family to look for somebody else that's uncomfortable so that they know that they're not alone and Jesus Christ is actually here to answer their prayer today and he's ready to answer it through you. That's a church. That understands atmosphere. I'm not a big fan. You probably know this. But uh, I'm not a big fan of churches that only churchy people like. I'm not a big fan of uh, services that only super spiritual people get to be a part of. And everybody else just gets left out and confused. I'm I'm not a big fan of, uh, of, of a a so-called church that would not look for the person that doesn't already attend that place. And that person would be their reason for, reason for gathering together on that day. All those things that I just described, that's not a church. That's a so-called Christian country club where people pay tithes and think they're stakeholders instead of understanding that they're servants. There's a big difference between a church and a country club. And I've been a part of enough white country clubs. I'm ready to build the kingdom of God in Unison and the surrounding area. I want New Hope to look more like the kingdom of God does than Walmart. And the light of God should shine so bright in this church that it begins to impact this community. I'm just not a fan. Why do young people join gangs? Because some gang leader did a better job of making them feel welcome than an entire church full of people. Why do our teenagers leave our youth group? 
go to college and join sororities and fraternities, drink like fish, fall off the wagon and live like hell while they're there. Because they wanna be accepted and improved in the atmosphere. And we'd never really connected them to our savior. We just tried to shove our standard down their throat instead of understanding that our number one responsibility is to delight in Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that our number two responsibility is to love those people as we love ourselves, which is supposed to be as God loves us. So number three, this is the final point. Come just as you are. Could you imagine having a new baby, a newborn, and or an infant or, an, or a toddler, and trying to present that newborn to your family, and the family that you present that newborn to goes, oh man, what is he wearing? What's all that stuff all over him? Don't you know you're supposed to clean him up before you just, you ever seen a newborn baby? They don't have like a water hose on the side ready to hose that booger down before they hand him back to mama. Nobody cares what that baby's wearing. Nobody cares what is all over that child in that moment. Everybody in the room, come on, is just glad that that baby is born. And then everybody in the room in that moment wants to present that newborn to everybody that's not in the room. And could you imagine if the family in the room, so excited about the newborn, goes to present to the family not in the room, and they reject him or her because he hasn't grown to a certain point? Could you imagine if they all reject him or her because she's not saying the right things? But that's what happens in so many churches. All the senior super spiritual types, come on, we expect overnight growth. God is not Amazon Prime, guys. It takes more than two days sometimes. Even Amazon takes more than takes like a half weeks. Come on, when we present, you come. You remember that old song? Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Just come. I don't mean come to a service. I mean come to Jesus. Can you imagine how much Hades there will be to pay if it's you that gets in the way of somebody coming to Jesus? I'm telling you, I've been there. I've watched somebody walk away because they thought they had to walk through me to get to Jesus. And I have to answer for that. And I thank God for his grace and his forgiveness. But I don't want that on me. This is the place where people should be able to come. And by the way, not just this place, but you because you're a part of this place. If you're going to act like an idiot and a fool and treat people like dirt, please don't wear a New Hope hat. 
I'm shy. For real, though. Like, go over to First Baptist, ask Pastor Brent, give you a hat, and then go act however you want to. <laughs> I love you, Pastor Brent. <laughs> Pastor Brent was on staff at the, the church that my wife attended when she was in high school. I actually thank God for Pastor Brent Schollmeyer. Hey, you represent Jesus, and you represent this church. Let me keep going. Because before we just point our finger at everybody that's supposed to be living for Jesus, we need to understand this. Come just as you are does not mean stay however you are. This is not hyper grace. This is not grace only. This is grace and truth. Come just as you are means that you're going to have to fight with Jesus to become more like him, not just a better version of yourself. In fact, when you really come to Jesus, and when you continually come to Jesus, you're actually gonna have to fight to continue the way that you were before you came to him. That's how you know that you've come. The problem is, most people want divine deliverance, they just don't want discipleship. And Jesus, after he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, you remember the healing? Take up your bed and walk. The Bible says he went back to him and he told him something. He says, now listen to me. Don't go back to doing what you were doing beforehand. Don't keep sinning word for word or you will end up worse than you were before. Now, I don't know if that guy ever sinned again for the rest of his life, but I can tell you this. He was now more convicted by the words of God and leaning into the heart of God than he was comfortable with the way that he was. When you know what Jesus has brought you out of, you not, you not only know you don't wanna go back, but you believe that he can continue to bring you out of, no matter what comes up against you again. Let me give you these words quickly, because I believe that we will have to choose. We will have to choose to go back as we were, or go forward as he is, which is my number one responsibility. So for all the practical types, let me close with this. Celebrate. If celebration is not part of your home, if celebration is not part of your prayer life, if celebration is not part of your parenting, if celebration is not part of your marriage, if celebration is not part of your friendships, and by the way, if you're single, your singleness in Christ is just as valuable and important as my marriage in Christ. And by the way, if you're single, your integrity-based, healthy friendships are just as important as my integrity-based, healthy family. Are you with me? So somebody needs to celebrate. If you're gonna walk through the valleys, you have to be willing and able to recognize and celebrate the mountaintops. Why? Because if you don't celebrate, you don't reserve the right to correct. And even if you do, correction without celebration is constriction. They will never live up to your correction because we don't know how to celebrate. We don't know how to, to, to be in joy with them so they don't enjoy what we're doing with them. And every time they see us coming, they think, oh, well, here they come again telling me something else I've been doing wrong. That's why people rebel. Because as God's church, we're better at correction than we are celebration. And Jesus anointed us not to be angry, 
Secondly, we correct. After we celebrate, we correct. I love this. Proverbs 12, 1. The, the, the version I memorized says, he who loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And I don't know why that's like my favorite word in the English language. And my wife hates the way I say stupid. So she tells me not to say stupid because it sounds so abrupt and brash and mean whenever I say stupid. To learn, you must love discipline, but it's stupid to hate correction. I mean, I mean it's just downright ignorant to hate correction somebody's trying to help you but in order to earn the right you have to develop the relationship celebrate correct now I love this one coach come on coaching is what is required to get somebody out of what you're correcting them correction without coaching is demonic guys that's what that's what the powers and principalities of darkness do they just give correction without coaching they give correction look at what you did this is what you've done this is who you are you'll never be any different you'll always be like this oh hang on hang on all right there's a time and a place for correction but after correction you got to coach them out parents Husbands, wives, this thing takes coaching. We can't just tell people what they're doing wrong. We've got to find a way to coach them into what is right. Coaching is essential. I love Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, hey, this is the way. This is the way. We can't just show them what's wrong. Just show them the wrong direction. No, no, no. We have to show them the right direction. This is the way, walk in it. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, the voice is going to be there saying, whoa, hey, hey, hang on, hang on. Hey, hey, this is the way. This is the way. Here's the final one. Come through. Celebrate, correct, coach. Hey, I'm telling you, this will transform your house if you'll get it, if you'll practice it. Come through. When you come through for somebody else, they learn how to count on you. When do people need you the most? When did you need God the most? When you were at your worst. So this should be a place where the fallen, the hurting, the broken, the sinful, the dirty, the depressed, the anxious, the sick, the angry, where they can all come and be ministered to. Millions upon millions of dollars a year spent on hospitals and modern medicine. And yet somebody thinks, if we spend money the wrong way, then all of a sudden somebody just is irritated, like, I can't even believe they built all, they spent all that money on that. Don't you know know that my God owns a cattle on a thousand hilltops, and if he wants me to have something, he'll kill another cow? That the righteous have never been forsaken, nor their children begging bread, and what God does in a service on a Sunday is more eternally important than what a doctor does on a, in a hospital every other day. Now, I respect our health care and our physicians, and I am so grateful for you. But we got to understand that what, how we treat people is even more important than they, how they treat people. Why do we come through? Why why would you come through for somebody else that doesn't deserve it? Because Jesus came through for you when you didn't deserve it. 
John writes, and I close. John chapter two, first John. First John chapter two. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate. You have an advocate who pleads your case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of your friends. For the sins of the people at your office. For the sins of the people at your school. And as he came through for you, he is hoping that you come through for somebody else. Do you understand how much more impactful it is when you come through for somebody than when we come through for somebody? Do you understand that the growth of this church is not dependent upon how many paid people do what everybody expects them to do? Are you with me? I can pay people all day to do and perform tasks that they are expected to accomplish. But when unpaid people, volunteers come in and they do what nobody expected them to do and they come through for somebody else because of the way that Jesus came through for them, then all of a sudden your friend shows up, your family member shows up, your co-worker shows up, come on, your enemy that you loved anyways shows up and God comes through for them the way that he came through for you and they learn how to count on you for the rest of their eternity because Jesus used you, an unpaid person that went above and beyond what anybody could have ever expected and you created an atmosphere that impacted their eternity because you understand how important and essential it is to foster family everywhere that you go. And then when you sit and the preacher finally closes the sermon and he says every head bowed and every eye closed, you're not just sitting with the same people that you were sitting with last week. You're sitting with somebody that you've been praying for. You're sitting with somebody that you've been fasting for. You've sit, you're sitting with somebody that you have been inviting. And so you just got to know. When the pastor says, bow your head and close your eyes, you got to peek. And then all of a sudden, you see that person that was headed to hell. Open up their hands. And you begin to hear them in just a still small voice whisper, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Oh, see, now you understand what it means to delight in Jesus and foster family. Because fostering just turned into adoption and eternity has been impacted. So would you bow your head and close your eyes today? Before you gather your things and before you go anywhere, would you take inventory right where you are? Lord, help me to see the person that you want me to come through for this week. May I not just come to services, but may I become a servant. Lord, show me that area in my life where I need to celebrate more and correct a little less. God, show me where I could be coaching instead of just correcting. 
Lord, this week in the name of Jesus, help me to take charge of my atmosphere instead of my atmosphere having charge over me. If you're in the room right now, and as I quoted earlier, you feel dead in your trespasses because you've been following the ways of this world. You've been distracted by the prince of the air. You're not confident of who you are in Christ. Would you consider, just consider right now that he's calling your name, that he's interceding for you. That that scripture that John wrote 2,000 years ago, that you have an advocate. He wasn't just talking to that church. He was talking to you. Would you surrender your life to him today? Would you give him your life and never take it back again? If that's you and you know that you need to become a follower of Jesus, you need to be born again right now. You need to give your life to Jesus or give it back to Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you to open your hands right where you are as somebody who loves you is peeking. <laughs> open your hands right where you are. If you're watching online, open your hands right where you are. And I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's a powerful proclamation that begins your journey. Church, I wanna ask you to pray loud so that anybody in the room would have the confidence to know that they're not alone and pray out loud as well. Come on, let's pray it together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen, where I've sinned, where I've been disobedient, selfish, any area of my life that doesn't represent you. I believe that's why you died on the cross. You shed your blood, you paid for my sin so I could become part of the family of God. You were raised from the dead so I could be born again, made new, just like you. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. I surrender all right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you believe in that prayer, could somebody praise God today?